The following program was made possible by Ward's Lawyers. Find us at wardlegal.ca. Welcome to the program. Two weeks ago today, I got shot number two, giving me superpowers, or so I would have myself believe. We'll revisit that Marvel-S experience. Bees are the bees knees in Raybro. We'll take you to a new pollinator garden there that its creators say also attracted neighbors. Food source Salsa is flying off shelves. The story behind that unique homemade fundraiser and music by Looking for Heather. My name is Denny Greenow and this is The Advocate Podcast, stories from Kawartha Lakes. Well, despite all the good news of vaccine rollouts and restrictions being lifted and finally getting a haircut, some reminders that we are not out of this yet. That back to normal is not always just around the corner, or in this case, just over the next furrow. A furrow, by the way, is that ditch created when a tractor plows a field. The international plowing match, which was scheduled to take place here in Kawartha Lakes in the fall, has been cancelled again. Few were surprised when it was cancelled last year, but this year there was hope that it would take place. Councillor Ron Ashmore has been a big proponent of bringing the IPM, as it's known to our area. He joins me on the line now. Mr. Ashmore, thanks for being with us. Now, what was your reaction to this news? I was quite surprised because from the last I had heard, um, as the fall would approach, we would be able to have these numbers outside. I mean, what what uh, was really disappointing was that, um, you know, obviously we were told we couldn't have it for this year. Um, but then now we've been put in the queue for two years after that. Uh, but really, it's it's disappointing because when I talked to them, um, the last I talked to them, things were a go. And then obviously this week they announced that they that they couldn't do it. And then when I talked to a staff member there, they said that they just could not get the provincial government to pin down a percentage, whether it's 40, 50, 60 percent, like how much you could have outside capacity. So that it was just the lack of a, a number that they based their decision that they couldn't, um, they just couldn't hold it, which is very, very unfortunate. Well, not to get too um, bogged down on numbers, yeah, what would 50% yeah. represent? You know, I, I don't know the, the, the capacity of Lindsay Exhibition Grounds, but I know that previous uh, international plowing match and rural expos, for example, the last one I was at, which was the last one in, uh, in just west of, um, of uh, North Bay, um, it was around 90,000. So, um, say 50%, uh, you know, 40 some thousand would be allowed and that would be certainly a good crowd. I mean, generally the Lindsay exhibition, I think they get up to 30, 40,000 in a, or 50,000 in a, in a five day, uh, period. So, I mean, it would be equivalent to what, what they would have for the, uh, the exhibition. So I think they could have done it, but I mean, I know it's not the exhibition's fault. It's, it's all provincial mandated, uh, that they weren't allowed and they just couldn't apparently get a, get a pinpoint, a, um, an amount that they could have. So. Yeah, I mean, I don't know whether it was just because there's not enough space or whether it wasn't in a, you know, they decided on the location. I mean, the Lex grounds, I'm sure they, you know, they decided that's where they're going to have it. But I don't think even if they had it in another location, it would have made any difference. It's just that they could not get any commitment from the provincial government, unfortunately. So what was the situation last year? Did they just bump the whole year ahead or were they thinking yeah. a queue as well? Because I recognize that this isn't going to come around for us until 2024 again. Uh, we were to be 2020 and then obviously last year we couldn't hold it so it was we were bumped ahead to 2021 and 2022 uh, Kempville Granville County and Kempville area was to get it 
I had thought that well, if we if we if we couldn't host host it this year, 2021, then we should be next in line and for 2022. However, that apparently is not the case. So we have to wait for two more plowing matches to um, to to happen to occur, and then we have to wait till 2024. From what I've read from the uh, from the media release, so we have did to they, wait. Another did they explain year. to you why they didn't just defer it to just push well, everything up another year? I think what the explanation was, I talked to uh, the staff member there in Guelph, was that uh, Campvale is quite quite advanced as far as their preparation, and they really can't change it for another year because they have uh, crop production. The fields are, are ready or seeded down for next year, so they can't just turn it around on, on a dime and, and do it for you know the, this year or the next year, the next year or two years, but they have to be next. So apparently that's why... They decided to go to Kempville for 2022, and then I guess it's sort of like the Olympics. I guess you got to, but in this case, it's every year. But uh, you have to, you have a, you have a dedicated year, and you have to, you have to strive towards that, and you have to plan. There's so much planning going into it, into a, a, an IPM. Now, many of your constituents are, are farmers, yeah. uh, even if they don't participate in the event. They they make up a, a big proportion of the crowd what are they telling you about the decision to to cancel again well i mean it's it's such uh, fresh news right now i really haven't had much uh, feedback yet but i mean as the news gets out i'm sure you know the majority would be disappointed are disappointed obviously and uh and, and yeah we have quite a few rural areas i mean in ward six you know we have omimi rayborough downeyville dunsford and many other lake communities uh along sturgeon lake and Pigeon Lake and everything in between. So, yeah, there's a huge, uh, a huge rural component to this, um, to this ward. I, I'm obviously I, I can't speak for them, but I, I would definitely be sure that they would be pretty disappointed. I think they'll rally again. I mean, it's uh, we've waited this long since 1992. I mean, I hate to say, well, we can wait another two more years. Well, we really don't have much other choice. I mean, you know, you either wait two more years or you wait another 20 years. So basically, that's where we're at. I think, you know, at least we're in. We're in the queue. We're in the, we're on the list. So I mean, you don't want to let that go, even if it's 24 months from now, two years from now. You you've got to you've got to uh, regroup and you've got to reorganize again and and just look forward to the future. And uh, you know, two month two years will come pretty fast. The community puts a lot of pride and they put a lot of work in, into the, into the show because they're showcasing their municipality, and they'll do anything to show it. You know, they're they're showing it off and they're marketing it. But they're proud. The main thing is that they're proud of their municipality. And uh, I think um, it'll be quite a proud moment when, when it finally does uh, it does occur, even if it is two years from now. Outside of the actual life of the competitors inside the boundaries of the Lindsay Exhibition, what does this represent in its absence? What will that represent to the community as a whole? Well, economically, I believe it's at least about $20 million, 20 to $25 million of local sales and spinoff sales and spin-off economic activity, it'll be definitely be a big boost. I mean, it's there's certainly a, a very positive uh, aspects to it, so um, I can't see anything negative to it. Uh, it's just, but it all depends on the. It's all dependent on the volunteers. That's what that's what makes it happen. Uh, every plowing match, rural expo, it's the volunteers and the community. Well, let's keep our yeah. head down and uh, plow ahead until 2024. Sounds like a plan. My name is Brogan Dean from Ward's Lawyers and Lindsay, your official sponsor of the Advocate Podcast, Stories from Kawartha Lakes.
crush or chop some tomatoes, add in some onion, pepper, and a bit of whatnot, boil it down, and you got your salsa. Simple, right? Well, the Quarth Lakes Food Source is counting on its mass-produced salsa to pique many people's taste buds while helping to generate funds for the local agency. In fact, it's available now in various outlets across Quarth Lakes, which I'll, I'll list in a bit, right after I get the story behind this salsa. Heather Kirby is the executive director of the Quarth Lakes Food Source. She joins me on the line from her office in Lindsay. Okay, Heather, uh, when you were looking for a food to create and sell, why salsa as opposed to, oh, I don't know, cookies or muffins or even jams, which may not have been as demanding? Salsa was was an easy choice. We did poll the community and our volunteers, and it came back 70% salsa. Okay, I have to ask, how many people did you survey when you when you cast out that net? How many people responded? Uh, so that you We could... had 120 around 120 respondents. It was over 100, but not 150. Did it surprise you that that 70% chose salsa over anything else? I was actually thinking that hot sauce was going to come through because uh, when we did the survey last, uh, well, it was probably two summers ago now, hot sauce was coming around uh, and it's a very niche market and you can get hot sauces in curated boxes delivered to your home and you know, it's its own little underworld. So I really thought a uh, hot sauce was coming, but salsa came through in our community. And so we uh, we went with salsa. I am curious about the production, but let's go back without you giving me too many trade secrets, quote unquote. What was <laughs> yeah. involved in, in that recipe? Because salsa is, I make salsa because it's hard to screw up. So do and, I. And, and I think everybody does, but it's, it can become a very personal thing. So how do you, what went into developing the recipe that would uh, appeal to everyone's palate as universally as possible. The ones that we make at home are usually rather sweet because we pick the tomatoes off the vine and they're naturally sweeter than processed tomatoes. So um, we knew we couldn't match that. Um, to make a shelf stable product, the pH of the overall product needs to be a certain level. Uh, I worked back and forth with them about flavors that I liked, uh, what the current market, is, what's out there in the current market, what different varieties, uh, hot salsa, mild salsa, chunky, runny, mango, fruit-based, um, tomato-based, you know, coriander, cilantro, or not coriander, cilantro. So we had all of these conversations, and they went, took all that research back. Once they came down to some options, I was then a, a board member myself went down to sample. We had a testing day in about November. I want to know what that was like, Heather, to sit there. Uh, with all these options as a, as a was, now you're a professional food taster. and But this is on your shoulders, you know, too, because you, you're coming back and, and you're going to be distributing it. So yes. what was that like? Uh, we sat down uh, and we had a tray in front of us with, with samples and they were labeled A, B, C, and D. And then we had some chips and then we had some water uh, and uh, a little bit of lime in it just to cleanse the palate between each one. So we sampled each one. And right before we did, the George Brown staff, uh, read the description of it and what we should expect and and then took the notes of what we actually tasted and what we liked and what we didn't like and all of those words. So it really was interesting where, you know, we laughed and smiled and, you know, and, and went through that. But in all honesty, they wanted to know what we didn't like. That was more important to them than what we did like. We then had some leftover. So what I did was bring that back here. And so in our lunchroom here at the food source, staff also went through the same process. You know, 
buying one is really great, but buying your second jar or your third jar, your fourth jar, that's where the impact happens. And that's where the long-term sustainability of this social enterprise will come in. So it was important to me to capture what people didn't like so that we could adjust that. So I took all of that feedback and I sent it back to George Brown and we ended up coming up with a recipe that was not any of those four, but it was a combination of them all. So it was a hundred percent made mild because if the community uptakes this adventure that we are on, we now have an option to make another, a hot version and to expand what we're doing. It truly is made by these two hands and uh, it also by some of food source staff because they're also interested in it's a really fun day. And yes, we have had volunteers come and spend the day. It is, it's about a 12 hour day. It's very long. It's uh, not a lot of breaks. What I know now versus what I knew six months ago about food production is night and day. And the more that we sell, the more we're able to produce. It's a business when we look at it and the proceeds will then come back to support our organization. What is your hope in terms of how much this could represent when it reaches its optimum level? This first year is where it's really guesswork because we've never, we've never done this and we don't really know what to anticipate. We don't know what to expect. Um, our goal is for it to eventually cover our rent. And this is a way for us to diversify and for the community to support us in a new and a, in a unique way. Everyone might want salsa and then they learn about us and, and like what we do. So it's, it's a good marketing piece and it's a good awareness building piece across the board. So it's really, it's, it's a win-win. Well, okay. Well, with that, in the spirit of that, it's about getting it into houses and homes. And, and I went out and got mine. So why don't we wrap this up by my, this is the first time I, I open up this jar, by the way. So I'm going to test it. And I'm so excited to I, watch well, this. Okay. Are, are you excited or maybe a little bit nervous given that, you know, I have, <laughs> made, I have made my, I'm, I'm one of the best salsa makers uh, on at 433 Cheese Factory Road. So uh, let's see what happens. Okay. There. Well, I want to know how many fair ribbons you want. Oh, you know what? Uh, my initial reaction is it's not quite as mild as I thought, but I'm okay with that. There's a bit of bite to it. So hmm. it's sharp with garlic. There you go. Nicely done. My name's Heather Kirby. I'm with the executive director at Kortha Lakes Food Source, and you're listening to the Advocate Podcast, Stories from Kortha Lakes. You can find this fun and fundraising salsa all over Kortha Lakes, including Burns Bulk Food Store, Fresh Fuel, Value Mart, and the Mariposa Woolen Mill. Now, the reasons we can bring you stories like this salsa-inspired one is because of our official sponsor, Ward's Lawyers. If you're looking for a lawyer, Carissa and Jason and their team, well, they've got you covered for all your legal needs. You can find them at wardlegal.ca. Now, about us, well, you can find us on Twitter and Facebook, and, and, and we like you to reach out to us. We are 100% local media and part of the Lindsay Advocate magazine. In the July issue, Jeff Coleman takes a look at whether Kawartha Lakes is becoming Muskoka-ized. Pick up your copy at M's Bakery in Cobaconk or Smitty's Restaurant in Lindsay. Someone you can expect to hear from on this program in an upcoming episode, Oakwood native Jay Bowes, one of the founding members of Looking for Heather. From the duo's recently released CD, We Fall in Love Too Easily, this is Ghost Stories.
Heather with Ghost Stories from their brand new CD, We Fall in Love Too Easily, which you can and should purchase via their website, lookingforheather.com. That's what I did. It was a bargain. You're listening to the Advocate Podcast, stories from Kawartha Lakes. Coming up, what's all this buzz about Rayboro? This year, because we've just planted them, they're not fully mature plants yet. But when they fill in, it's, it's going to be gorgeous. We have um, columbine, we have coreopsis. So the purpose of the garden is to attract pollinators. And so the best way to do that is with native plants. Okay, I did some audio trickery there by adding in the sounds of bees, but give it a year and you'll likely see real bees in this brand new pollinator garden in Raybro. Elaine Windsor and Marty Callahan, whom you heard there describing what's in the garden, they helped make this project come to fruition. Fruition, yes, pun intended. Pollinators are an important part of our food system. They depend on certain plants to thrive. And that's what drove Marnie and Elaine and their neighbors to build this little garden of nanny berries, service berries, meadow sweet and button bush and various native shrubs. I hope I got those names right. But as Elaine explains, they've been pleased to see that this tidy garden fenced off with cedar rails and mounds of mulch neatly placed around plants, attracting more than just bees, butterflies and hummingbirds and other pollinators. I was by here the other day and I noticed people walking through here slowly. They parked their bikes and they're looking at the different 
um, things we like planted. What's it like to see that? Oh, it's wonderful to see that and wonderful to see people taking an interest in it. It's great. And whenever I'm down here weeding or I stop by watering, um, people stop and ask what's going on. So it's kind of community building too, isn't it, Marnie? And that was another objective of ours, to have a place where we could gather community, right? So I think the day we planted, did we have 10 or 12? There was about a dozen women here yeah. planting and uh, did Elaine... That did that surprise you? It did. Uh, Elaine's a great organizer. She, she just asked all these people in the village if they would come and they were happy to and everybody was COVID weary and so happy for company. And they were outdoors, so it was it was great chatting. I knew most of the people, but not all, and which surprised me because I've been here for 35 years. Um, uh, Elaine, through her music and through her art and doing census this year, she's met a lot of people, and so I think everybody met somebody that day that they didn't know. Yeah. Take me to that moment, then, Elaine, for someone who's relatively new here. You haven't been here 35 years. I think I think you need 30 years in before you can be established. <laughs> what was it like I'm for you? I'm feeling like I'm just established at 20 years. I'm just accepted. Well, let's <laughs> take me to that moment when you had all these people that you'd never met, uh, oh, well, really I'd... been close to. What was it like working alongside with them? Oh, it, it's wonderful to bring community together. And I think there was a real desire in those people also to come together. And they were really happy that I just, as I'm walking down the street and I see somebody in the yard, I just wave at them and say, hey, I'm Elaine, and tell them what we're doing. And, and everybody jumped on board. So the money came from uh, New Horizons grant. Um, and that was, uh, that was acquired through Kawartha Trans-Canada Trail. Al McPherson um, is our uh, grant getter extraordinaire. He's amazing at getting grants. It was for a seniors program, so the seniors aspect of it was there was seniors involved in planning, planting, and also making bee boxes. They had two bee, bo bee box making work workshops here in the park. I have one in my in my bag here, which I'm going to be mounting today. And so this is just like a little wooden box with with like little wooden cylinders in it. Is yes. That what that is? So these are mostly ground bees, um, native ground bees that. Uh, will um they usually are they're leaf cutter bees so they'll take a little piece of leaf roll it like a little burrito with their egg take it right back to the end of one of these uh what would you call these cylinders, cylinders and then continue doing that so in in any one of these cylinders they might get you know 10 eggs these little things will have to be replaced next year because once they're used they're used so uh okay yeah. there's a learning curve involved in this but it sounds like you know more about this than the layperson Tell me about that learning curve, Elaine, and, and how much you knew or how much, how much you had to learn. Um, I know a lot about gardening, but I think Marnie really helped to bring me on board with the native plants. And I think there's another thing that, for me, that's really important about native plants, and that is that they host um, our pollinators, our caterpillars, or um, microorganisms in our soil. So a lot of the things that we bring in from nurseries, they don't support um, our, our wildlife with um, a place to lay their eggs or hatch their chrysalis or um, place a cocoon. So Marnie um, was really great in helping me to understand a lot of that. If we want birds, we need the bugs. And you know, it, it all goes up the food chain and we, you know, we spend all our time spraying our houses, spraying our lawns, spraying our fields getting rid of all the little things that run the world. So that's what this is about, is, is having a safe place for those. And bees really don't sting unless they're provoked. They really don't. And most ground bees, there's a lot of ground bees that don't even have a stinger. 
what's it been like to, to convince the community that, you know what, this is, this is going to be a great thing? I think when you make it a gathering place and you sit here, we were here last Saturday or Saturday before with our coffees at 8 a.m. We just said, let's ha come and weed and, and we just chatted. And I think when you're here, you just, you know, you insert a sentence or two which rumiates in somebody's brain. And I think it, that slow process of getting people involved and uh, just talking to them as you're working. Um, and we don't you know it, it can just be a sentence or two a week and it, it builds up yeah well I think surprisingly it has been community building that that wasn't the idea for me in the beginning the idea for me in the beginning was a pollinator a, a pollinator park or a pollinator path um, and very happily it has become a community building I think everybody who's been involved from from the men who did the groundwork um, to the women who did the planting and all of us who will continue to maintain it. Um, it's, it's a gathering place. It's a conversation place. It's, it's, a, it's a reason to walk down to the park, like Elaine says, with your coffee and in the morning and meet some friends and you know, do a little bit of weeding, do a little bit of watering. It's lovely. And, and you know, as most communities, Graeber used to have a church, used to have a school. It doesn't anymore. The, the, the trail, the Trans-Canada Trail, actually has been a meeting place for a lot of neighbors. I've met so many neighbors on the trail far and wide and now this is just one more place to meet. I'm recently retired and so moving from those work colleagues into my community and knowing the people here this has really um, propelled that. It's, it's been great. It's not just about the bees. <laughs> no it's not just about the bees. I'm Marnie Callahan. I'm Elaine Windsor. We're both We're from, from Rayboro. And you're listening to The Advocate Podcast, stories from Kawartha Lakes. Starting today, I am fully vaxxed. As in, two weeks ago, I received my second shot. Now, if you're one of those fence-sitters or second-guessers about the safety and efficacy of a first shot, maybe this will help quell some of that. Well, maybe it'll help answer some of your questions. Follow me as I walk into Remedies RX and Lindsay and sit down in that chair next to pharmacist Kathy Puffer's desk, ready to get jabbed, when I start out by asking her... Are you finding a real difference in people's attitudes getting the second one versus the first one? Not really. Um... Everyone's excited to get the dose, so... Anyone breaking down? Anybody emotional? I haven't had that happen yet. Um, the first second dose I gave, I was very emotional. I did, but now it's been a lot, so I'm not getting emotional anymore. Okay, so I should it's... prepare myself for that. I mean, I, I do pry at Tim Hortons commercials, so... Uh, <laughs> and I don't like Tim Hortons. You might, you might... I don't know, it's just... I had my second one yesterday, and it, it is a really good feeling. I have a, a pretty strong allergy to um, sulfa. Okay. And anti-vaxxers. I don't uh, have a, an aversion to anti-vaxxers. I, I do as well. Do you? Yeah. <laughs> I really do. Okay. Will this give me superpowers against them? Oh, I wish. I hope. I'm left-handed, so uh, my right arm, I guess. Perfect. Please. Website. Will I feel anything immediately afterwards, or? No. Maybe a sore arm is about it. So no superpowers immediately. No superpowers, yeah. no. <laughs> uh, so is there anything I can take afterwards just to ease whatever pain I might Tylenol have? Tylenol or Advil are fine. The hardest part is, is the documentation. It's not given a shot at all. <laughs> this must be pretty exciting for you too, though, to, to be able to administer this. It's a happy thing. It is a happy thing. It really is. Um, if the government wouldn't change the rules every five minutes, it would be even more happy. <laughs> uh, so if I do have any symptoms, when will I feel them? 
They could start later today. So I'm okay um, for a few hours. You, yeah, you'd be okay for a few hours. Uh, most people that have had second uh, have not had anything now. I have had some people with sore arm, some chills, fever, yeah. go to bed for kind of 24 hours thing. But lots of fluids today, I think, prevents, helps to prevent that. My challenge is, I know one of the symptoms is possible lethargy. Um, how do you counter that with my innate laziness? All right, here we go. Here we go. I'm not going to look. I hate looking. Don't look. I don't need you to look. Big breath in. It'll be all over before you know it. There you go. You are fully vaccinated. <laughs> okay. I think I feel the superpowers kicking in. I hope so. <laughs> you don't even need a band-aid. Transformation taking place. I am... Vaxman! With superpowers such as hugging other fully vaxxed humans and going to the Century Cinemas and attending live plays at the LLT and the Lab and boarding a plane. <laughs> Though that last one may not be necessary for you and me, right, Two Shot? My trusty canine sidekick? <laughs> That's right, Two Shot. We can now fly on our own mRNA power. Onward, as we recruit other Vax superheroes all over Kawartha Lakes in communities like Cajun, Fenlon, Dalrymple, Woodville, Janetville, Bethany. Thank you so much for this, Ms. Puffer. So I need you to hang around for 15 yes, minutes. Yes, absolutely, I can do that. I Look, I realize I didn't walk out with superpowers following my second shot that day. I, I mean, it took two weeks for that to kick in. So yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm a superhero now. Right, two shot? This show is possible because of our official sponsor, Ward's Lawyers, for all your legal needs, any legal need, really. The team at Ward's, led by Carissa and Jason Ward, well, they're there for you. Find out what they can do for you by going to wardlegal.ca. Our theme and musical bridges, written and performed by the very talented Gerald Van Halteren. Now, please tell your friends about us. We're driven by your support via downloads and subscriptions, which you can do for free via Spotify or Apple Podcasts. The Advocate Podcast, Stories from Kawartha Lakes, is produced by me, Denny Grignel. Stay safe, stay the course, stay patient, and get the shot so that we can all get out of this real soon. Talk to you in a couple of weeks.